Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast exploring solutions for sustainability and equity in water. I'm the host, Travis Loop. This is episode number 201, A Look Inside Navajo Nation. Water management is critical and challenging for Navajo Nation, which spreads across 27,000 square miles of the arid southwest. In this episode, Crystal Tully Cordova, principal hydrologist for the Navajo Nation Department of Water Resources, shares her experiences and observations, including how climate change is impacting the landscape. She discusses the role of Navajo Nation in management of the Colorado River and how tribes in the basin are seeking greater influence. Crystal also talks about the influx of federal funds for infrastructure and how it is supporting progress on Navajo water projects. Before starting, I want to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Flume Utility and Business Solutions. I have a flume system at my house to track water use in real time and show me what's happening on my smartphone. Flume also provides crucial insights to water providers and state and regional planning agencies, enabling them to conserve water, stop leaks, plan for the future, comply with regulations, and so much more. Flume is partnering with leading water utilities across the country, such as the San Antonio Water System, Orange County Municipal Water District, and East Bay Municipal Utilities District. Flume's nationwide network of sensors collect residential water use data at five-second intervals. It provides detailed analysis of how water is used indoors and out, even down to the fixture level. To learn more, visit flumewater.com and please reach out to their team at partnerships at flumewater.com. You're in the water loop. Crystal, really happy to have you on the podcast. I know you were on before during an episode that Emma Robbins hosted, so people should check that out, but I'm really happy to talk to you this time. Yeah, it was a lot of fun participating in the episode with Emma. I'm really interested in talking to you about water and Navajo Nation. Before we kind of get into the water side, if you will, could you talk to folks about Navajo Nation, uh, this place, and what your role is? The Navajo Nation is located in the southwestern United States, and it spans over 27,000 square miles across Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico, and we also have land in Colorado as well. It's the largest land-based tribe as well as the largest populated tribe in the United States. And we have we straddle the upper and the lower Colorado River Basin, but that's not the only river basin that we are in. We are also in the Rio Grande Basin. So we're a large tribe spanning many different transboundary areas. And you are a hydrologist um, for the Navajo Department of Water Resources or Water Management. Could you talk about that role of yours and what you do? Yes, I'm a principal hydrologist with the Navajo Nation Department of Water Resources. 
And it's the largest department of water resources, or the largest department within the Division of Natural Resources. And there are three branches within our Department of Water Resources. And those branches include the branch that I work for, Water Management Branch, that's responsible for water rights, the GIS um, databases, as well as uh, a lot of the efforts to be able to secure uh, funding for water develop regional water development projects. In addition to that, we have two other branches. One branch focuses on agricultural water as well as livestock uh, water, and that's the technical constructions and operations branch. And then the other branch is the safety of dams, so um, taking care of a lot of the reservoirs throughout the Navajo Nation. And as a hydrologist, what I do is work on a variety of efforts. I'm a program manager for regional water supply development projects. Uh, I also am a technical expert in providing support to our attorneys in implementing water rights that have been settled, as well as working on unresolved water rights, whether they be in litigation or settlement. And in addition to that, with the hydroclimate challenges, climate change impacts on hydrology, um, like the drought impacts on water availability. I have been in a lot of the Colorado River conversations as there has been an imbalance between the supply and the demand. One of the things I love is, is following you on LinkedIn. I really encourage people to connect with you on there because you get to travel around Navajo Nation, uh, especially through your work. And you just make all these great observations, uh, share the beautiful scenery, but really great observations about kind of the state of water there, the impacts of climate change. Could you talk a little bit more about that, like how your work takes you around um, and some of the things that you're you're seeing these days and why you share? I guess that's like a three-part question there. Um, but yeah, you see where I'm going. Yeah. So I know a lot of people are maybe f unfamiliar with what a tribal water manager does or is interested in and even um, have an understanding about the status of water. And when we think about water, especially as a tribal water manager, because of our indigenous knowledge that is very rooted not only in using water as a supply, but also associated with our identity, there's a different relationship with water. And then also thinking about not only one aspect of water, meaning the water that we use, but also thinking about all the contributors of the water cycle and having an understanding of that because all of those are interrelated and interconnected and an imbalance in one area can provide challenges in another area. As an example, precipitation challenges. Um, so when I share about water in the Navajo Nation, I like to share to try to give the people a different perspective about what observations are in our area. I know, so our capital of the Navajo Nation is located within Windorock, Arizona. And oftentimes when people throughout the United States or throughout the world think about Arizona, they think about um, saguaro cactus and they think about over a hundred degree temperatures. Mm -hmm. 
And when you think about northeastern Arizona, I mean, the latest post, for example, I shared a few days ago that we had 10 degree Fahrenheit degrees for our uh, lowest temperature for the night. And when you look at the whole state of northeastern or for the whole state of Arizona, that may not necessarily be representative of the whole state. So just sharing a perspective that even in the state that we live in, we have a uniqueness that comes to our our um, experiences, but not only that, to our interactions with water. Yeah, and I know that some of your posts have really talked about the water impacts from climate change, right? As you go around both sides of it, right? Like the lack of water, but then also some of these even heavier storms that have come um, and hit Navajo Nation, right? Like you've you've kind of seen both extremes during your, your travels recently. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, one of the things that I, t- I just talked about was drought. So like an imbalance between supply and demand in the Colorado River Basin. But I think what can be fascinating to some people is that you can be experiencing drought like we are now abnormally dry to extreme drought conditions, but at the same time can also be impacted by flooding. Um, For example, this past April, April 2023, we experienced snowmelt flooding. And so basically the temperatures increased at a rapid rate and really melted the snow faster than anticipated. And the reservoirs were full. So holding back some of that water um, just came through the National Monument, Canyon de Chez in Chinle, Arizona. And because that system is usually dry, it was running at about a third of the flows in the San Juan River which is a tributary to the Colorado River. So that's pretty unusual for a um, stream that is generally dry most of the year. And the challenge that we have there are just the impacts associated with flooding. People were displaced from their homes. Some people couldn't leave their homes. There were parking lots at the Holiday Inn that were underwater. And so when you think about the impact to the economy, especially as that's an area that a lot of tourists go to, to go see Canyon de Chez, it, there's just a lot of cascading impacts. Again, I really encourage people to follow you on LinkedIn just to kind of have this great perspective into water and Navajo Nation and what's happening uh, there. So Colorado River, as you've mentioned, uh, is just so fundamental to the American West, to this to this region. Um, I'm really curious as to the role of Navajo Nation in management of the Colorado River. The, the news has just been full of, hey, the Colorado, the water levels are going down. I know it's come up again recently, but I really want to dig into like the role of Navajo Nation in managing the Colorado River. Um, what kind of your allocations are and how that's changing. There's a lot of decision-making going on these days with the Colorado River. So what's what's kind of been historically the role? What's what's happening now uh, with, with all of that? It, I think the, the foundational part to start from with the Colorado River is the 1922 compact and that there was a centennial 
um, anniversary last year. And when you see that who's in the picture for the signatories to the foundational compact, that included the federal government and seven basin state signatories. So the Colorado River is a binational system. It's in the U.S. in seven basin states, including Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, as well as Arizona, Nevada, and California. But it also goes south into Mexico. And although tribes have been here for millennia and Mexico has been in existence for a long time, uh, the country of Mexico and the tribal sovereigns were not included as signatories. But I think it's also important to have an understanding about the historical aspect. I mean, even in 1922, um, Navajo Nation citizens were not um, didn't have the right to vote. So in some sense, they were not considered full American citizens. And so it's important to take that historical concept and be able to fast forward today. Um, so the law of the river started with that foundational compact. But over the years, because there hasn't necessarily been inclusion of tribes, um, however, there have been challenges associated with the hydrology. There have and through the advocacy of tribes, there have been increased tribal participation in discussions about Colorado River. So in August was the first time that the federal um, government, Department of Interior, Bureau of Reclamation, the seven basin state representatives and tribal sovereigns met, um, being able to discuss the operations of the Colorado River. And so there's something that's called the post-2026 effort. And so there's, right now, the Colorado River Basin is working according to the 2007 interim guidelines. However, the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, has described that the hydrology, the current hydrology and the future hydrology are um, decreased in a way that no one had anticipated according to the federal um, 2007 interim guidelines. And so associated with that, basically stating, um, paraphrasing by saying, you know, it, it's been worse than anyone had ever anticipated with the hydrology. And so now there's an effort to be able to try to come up with solutions associated with addressing the challenges that exist with not having enough wet water um, for what is described to be delivered to the stakeholders in the Colorado River Basin. And tribes have a significant water rights in the Colorado River Basin and Navajo Nation also being one of them. We have water rights in the upper basin in uh, the state of New Mexico, as well as in the state of Utah. And we continue to work to resolve our unresolved water rights in the state of New Mexico, as well as in the state of Arizona. But I think what really came to light in the past couple of years is the opportunity to be able to partner with tribes um, to assist with being able to provide that water under some of the conservation programs that were um, federally funded. Yeah, so complicated, <laughs> such a complicated situation. So the whole 
you know, water rights, first in time, first in line, does that not put Navajo Nation and other tribes as the most senior water rights? Yes, we do have high priority rights. I mean, our obviously our water rights vary uh, depending on the area, especially because Navajo Nation didn't start out as over 27,000 square miles. It started out smaller than that, but through treaties and different executive orders have grown to the land base that it currently is. And um, so associated with that, one of the challenges is, yes, we may have senior water rights, but at the same time, we have undeveloped water that oftentimes is considered system water. Um, We are working to develop our water to help close the clean water access gap with projects like the Navajo Gallup Water Supply Project, as well as uh, an agriculture project that we have called the Navajo Indian Irrigation Project. And these um, projects have been passed by Congress, signed into law by the president during those administrations that they were passed. And we continue to work to develop our water in an effort to provide water resources to Navajo residents. I remember really seeing in the news a few years ago, like this push to get tribes more at the table with the Colorado River discussions and as equal voices in those conversations. Um, Then I feel like I saw some news recently where that really hasn't materialized What's what's your take on how things are trending with tribal representation uh, in the Colorado? So the challenges that exist are have existed for a long time, over a hundred years, and when you think about the, the the need to change, things don't just change overnight. Mm-hmm. And as an effort to be able to address the changes. There's been a lot of advocacy by the tribes to be able to um, voice their opinions and their desires to be more in conversation with the happenings associated with the management of the Colorado River Basin because there is a lot of impacts that can be seen by tribes. Tribes have variable water uses and as such have variable impacts. And with that being said, there have been some efforts to be more inclusive of tribes in Colorado River Basin management. As an example, in the upper Colorado River Basin, there was the inclusion in the drought response operations agreement, the plan that came um, that is all authorized under the 2019 drought contingency plan for the upper basin was being a part of the drought response operations plan framework, there's a section, section 7.2, that specifically describes how tribes in the upper basin can be a part of the decision-making process, where as before the existence of that section 7.2, tribes were informed after the fact, after decisions were being proposed. And so we see that as a step in the right direction. And because of all of the, the law of the river consists of a lot of um, congressionally approved acts, 
There are challenges associated with some limitations for tribal participation in certain ways. But what we continue to advocate for is for formalization in decision-making because we don't want to be informed after decisions have been made, only to know that we, our voices cannot be a part of the decision-making process. Shifting gears, you know, there's been a lot of federal funding that's come down for water in recent years, um, including the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and the uh, and and those other kinds of legislation. Just curious uh, how this funding has assisted Navajo Nation and maybe what's going to be happening over the next three, four, five years because of all of this this funding. This, there definitely has been an influx of unprecedented funding for water development, not just for tribes, but for the United States. Um, so cities and counties and states were able to get were able to get funding under the Coronavirus Aid Act, also known as CARES Act, under the American Rescue Plan Act, also known as ARPA and also under the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, known, also known as a bipartisan infrastructure law. And then the last um, bit of funding has been the Inflation Reduction Act funding. And with that being said, during the first wave of unprecedented funding, it definitely helped during the height of the pandemic to be able to do projects like bringing, um, constructing transitional watering points in communities, Navajo communities that didn't previously have a permanent watering point. And so 59 of those Navajo community of the 110 Navajo communities were able to get a watering point that was closer to them. Um, under the American Rescue Plan Act funding, we have ha- received as a nation, the Navajo Nation funding that is going towards water development. Those projects, some of them have completed, some of them are currently in progress, but essentially what's being done is interconnecting those homes that didn't previously have pipe water or sanitation services and connecting them to the public water system. In addition to that, there's also infrastructure projects like Um, electricity. Electricity is an important aspect to water as well because you need that in order for, you need electricity in order for your water heater to work. And so there's also projects that are supporting interconnecting homes with electricity. Um, So we're doing that with funding. There's also some, um, under the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act funding, there was $3.5 billion that was identified to one of our federal partners for water development, the Indian Health Service, who connects homes to the public water system as well. And so under that um, effort, there are significant amount of work being done to be able to interconnect those homes. But I mean, associated with that also includes you know, those storage tanks that are needed, those booster pump stations that are needed to transmit the water across the vast landscape. And in addition to that, the supply needed to be able to help with um, creating that sustainability for water. And so when we think about the projects that are all being done, it's really as an, an effort, a collective effort between 
the Navajo Nation Department of Water Resources, the Indian Health Service, and then and our Tribal Utility Authority, Navajo Tribal Utility Authority, to be able to work on projects to secure the water future of the Navajo Nation, but also to create water sustainability. Well, it's encouraging to hear uh, about all those dollars going to work with some real tangible projects and that these are going to con- kind of continue over the next uh, you know, bunch of years here. So that's, that's good stuff. I know there's been a need for a real investment in infrastructure. Um, and I guess one of the big challenges is like that vast area, like you described, right? 27,000 square miles, uh, very vast, very rural. And so, you know, a lot of maybe the traditional infrastructure, it doesn't always fit, or you've got to invest a lot more to get things to these places. That's a big part of the challenge, right? Yes, definitely. Um, as an as a contrasting example, there's Phoenix, right? There's cul-de-sacs, mm. <laughs> blocks full of buildings. That's not an example of the Navajo Nation. The Navajo Nation is very rural. And when you think about our access challenges, it's associated with the need for capital development, the aging infrastructure that we have, water quality challenges, as well as production challenges. And in addition to that, the operations, maintenance, and replacements costs associated with water development. And so when we do these projects, there's really an opportunity to be able to, um, in this future, uh, you know, in the state of climate change, be able to secure our water future by diversifying our water portfolio. So through projects like the Navajo Gallup Water Supply Project, we are working to be able to integrate surface water from the San Juan River into our public water systems um, with groundwater and to be able to distribute water in that specific project to 43 of the 110 Navajo communities. Um, One lateral has been complete and is providing water to eight Navajo communities. That lateral is the Cutter Lateral on the far eastern side of Navajo. Um, But we do have a lot of work ahead of us associated with, you know, addressing the issue of the 30% of Navajos that do not have um, access to clean water. And so we will continue to work every day to be able to secure, protect the water rights that we have, because that also plays a role in the water development across the Navajo Nation. Last topic I wanted to ask you about uh, isn't necessarily a quick one. It's a, it's very big, but we talked about this before when we've had conversations, and that's kind of the the water, energy, food nexus, uh, and and why that's particularly important for Navajo Nation. Um, curious as to you know what's happening there, and especially some of the solutions that you all are are kind of starting to put in place, or some of the success stories around that. Yeah, I think it's important for the listeners to understand. So when you see news about the Colorado River Basin, I think people just think about the wet water access and like what the water uses may be. And when you think about the water uses of the Colorado River, it's important to understand that it's very interconnected. So for example, yes, we need water from the San Juan River, which is a tributary to the Colorado River, to support municipal water needs in the Navajo Nation. 
but we are also interested and have invested in the need um, for hydropower to exist because we have projects like the Navajo Gallup Water Supply Project, the Navajo Indian Irrigation Project, customers more um, across the Navajo Nation that rely on hydropower. And so when you think about that, that, that ties in the water and the energy, but also the ability to be able to have food in the Navajo Nation. And I mentioned the Navajo Indian Irrigation Project. We have an enterprise called the Navajo Agricultural Products Industry. And there we have traditional foods grown. We have other food grown that contribute to the regional um, food supply. For As an example, some of the alfalfa that's grown contributes to dairy farms in Arizona and in New Mexico. And then even they grow chipper potatoes, which I don't know if you enjoy a bag of Lay's potato chips, but (laughs) those chipper potatoes go to be able to support um, potato chips with Frito-Lay. And so when we think about it, I think it's important to consider um, all of these interconnections that exist associated with water Um, But even just thinking about Colorado River Basin, sometimes people only think the people within the basin are impacted by the flows in the Colorado River. But in actuality, when you think about the hydropower impact there and the water supply, there are places that are impacted that are outside the basin. For example, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Santa Fe, New Mexico are outside the basin but they get water from the San Juan Chama project and that water comes from the Colorado river basin. And there's a County in New Mexico, Leah County that receives hydropower, um, their power from hydropower that is produced within the Colorado river storage project that's produced at Glen Canyon dam, for example. Awesome. So what's, what's kind of the next big thing? There's all these topics you talked about. You have so much on your plate. Um, what's, what's the next thing that you're excited about or the next kind of success story that you see happening uh, with water for Navajo Nation? It's great that you ask that, Travis, because last night I stayed up almost till midnight um, being a judge looking at water development photos. Basically, there's a water challenge for high school students that's throughout the region. um, And the focus really was on Navajo water. And I was really encouraged to be able to know that the extent of knowledge that these students had, and they're not all from uh, on the Navajo Nation high schools, they're from outside the Navajo Nation. And What was interesting to me was just their knowledge, their base knowledge about the water challenges that exist within the Navajo Nation. But more interesting to me was them thinking outside the box of solutions of how to address the water challenges that Navajo Nation has and being able to see those wrapped up in a five minute video in various ways to be able to describe variable solutions. I mean, solutions including um, water delivery by electric bikes, including um, these very advanced technologies for water alert infiltration, 
and also interconnecting wells and also including um, surface and groundwater to be able to distribute to these homes in the Navajo community. And so for me, you know, research is a really important aspect of the water, addressing some of the water challenges within the Navajo Nation. Granted, the Navajo Nation doesn't have research dollars because the money that we do have, we spend on um, long-term sustainable projects for water development to close the clean water access gap. But through our different academic partners at universities, at colleges, we're able to work with students um, as well as faculty members and even down to the Mesa um, chapters throughout New Mexico, working with them to think about innovative ways to address water challenges within the Navajo Nation. I always love it when uh, the answer is like about the next generation and the hope that they instill, right? These these people are coming up with creative, young people coming up with creative ideas, showing how bright they are, uh, showing that they have more awareness at their age than we did when we were that age, right? That's uh, that's really encouraging for the for the future. Um, for sure, I I couldn't agree more. And I mean, even their video capability, uh, <laughs> making it a video, <laughs> was great as well. Oh wow, cool. Well, Crystal, uh, I I feel like I could talk to you for hours uh, about Navajo Nation and water, but I appreciate your time and your perspective. I'll say it again: uh, people on LinkedIn should reach out, at least follow you on LinkedIn to just get this great insight uh, into this uh, amazing place and and the amazing people. But thank you so much. Thank you, Travis. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the podcast. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.